1: and welcome to the DNF1 podcast. My name is Adam, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pye. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? Are you okay?
0: Hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm a bit fed up with the cold. Um, I don't recommend doing an outdoors job this time of year, so um, I'm happy for those of you that can welcome from home. But yeah, I'm good. I hope you're good too, and I'm looking forward to discussing how do we describe today's episode? A news update?
1: I think it's probably best to describe it as a news update. Um, I mean, we haven't got any sort of snappy titles. We've already discussed Lewis Hamilton signing and confirming his future with Mercedes for the 2021 season. And guess what, guys? For those of you who are probably sick of us talking about Lewis Hamilton, as we have done quite a lot, this episode is not going to be about Lewis, or at least directly (laughs) or primarily about Lewis. Nonetheless, let's get into it. Of course, first thing that we saw in the news late last night, Alpine, F1's newest branded team, uh, forwarded some rather sad news uh, is that Fernando Alonso making his return to the sport after a two year sabbatical was unfortunately involved in a road accident in Switzerland whilst on training um, I believe he was cycling as uh, Fernando is very much an avid cycler uh, following him in the Ferrari days especially he loved his cycling um, had a road accident, went to hospital uh, the first notice that we were given of it, it was quite worrying because they said he was conscious Um you know, amongst other things. And it kind of made it sound like he was in a real bad way. Fortunately, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of used the term loosely, he sustained what we believe is a fractured jaw. Now, of course, That's I've right. you know, it's never fun to break a bone or anything like that. And I'm sure it wasn't pleasant for Fernando, but thankfully that is the worst of, his troubles in terms of this incident. And he seems like he's going to be okay. They mentioned a further statement, Alpine, saying that Fernando's going to have a few days of rest. And then, of course, he's going to return to training next week at some point, which is great news, I think, all things considered. And it looks like Fernando, hopefully will be available available i should say for pre-season testing in about four weeks time of course and courtney first things first uh, as much as we at dnf1 wish fernando a speedy recovery and hope the recovery goes well and we'll see him at pre-season testing or better quite a scary moment but yeah would you say it's a race against time for fernando because of course i don't want to jump the gun like some people have and you know start thinking about alternatives perhaps for pre-season testing of course this is a significant time for fernando because he needs to get the miles in as much as he can so he can't afford to lose any time especially with pre-season testing short but um playing devil's advocate here if i may will alpine be concerned about Fernando's fitness coming into pre-season testing, or do you feel that perhaps as a contingency in the off chance he can't make it, they'll be looking at other options, perhaps from F2, or uh, in their own remit, like Guanyu Zhou or Christian Longard or perhaps someone else?
0: They'll definitely be analysing his progress, because as have already stated, he's coming back to Formula 1. It's not like he's a typical Formula 1 driver, you know, getting ready for pre-season. He's taken a break, and it's obviously well known that there are concerns that Fernando isn't going to come back to the standard that's needed. Given how, even though he is obviously exceptionally talented, it doesn't matter how good you are if you're away from the sport for a while. It takes a lot to catch up, and ironically, that's probably why he's doing as much training as, as he was, and he got mm. injured doing it. But you're right. I'm sure. I'm sure would definitely be analysing in fine detail because they know what's expected. Um, obviously going into the season and you I'm sure they'll be um, keeping their options open but luckily for Alpine they have a very strong driver academy so there's plenty of drivers to look at but I'm hoping because one of the big stories going into this season Fernando's return is one of the big stories and Hmm. it's it's great for Alpine to have a name like that so a lot of people within the F1 community will be hoping for a spiff return for Fernando
1: Absolutely. I mean, Fernando is the marquee signing for this new rebranded team, which basically is an Alpine livery on a Renault. Of course, Alpine running most of the works and Renault offering their expertise, particularly in the engine department. But um, as I said, guys, I do understand it It can possibly be seen as rather disrespectful to talk about uh, replacements or contingency plans for Fernando so soon after the accident. But of course, this is something Alpine will probably be keeping in reserve if they do need to however we both still expect fernando to turn up to preseason training of course um you know preseason testing those cars the vibrations and everything that goes through the energy with a fractured jaw that is really going to oh, affect fernando yeah. in a bad way and I, I you know what i'm no fernando alonso but i certainly wouldn't look forward to be throwing my neck around and everything else in a formula one car especially these ones. They're still going to be blindingly quick with uh, a less than 100% physical condition. But of course, turning to the main point of the episode, as much as we wish Fernando a speedy recovery, let's talk about some of the stuff that's been going on with the uh, commission boards in F1. Of course, there's been a lot of talk about future events in Formula 1 and of course the future rules. One in particular is the proposal of introducing sprint races. Now, Stefano Domenicali, the new head, if you like, at F1, taken over from Chase Carey last season. He has proposed the idea of introducing sprint races into the Formula One Canada. Now, this will appear on a trial basis if it is approved by the World's Motorsports Council, represented by the FIA, F1 and all of the 10 teams um, in an event very, very soon. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But if it does go ahead, it will appear as a trial basis for free races of the 23 race canada that will be in italy brazil and also canada so you know just as a trial with a view to being made permanent in 2022 as being a part of the regular weekend before we go into the schematics as to how a sprint race would be accommodated on the formula one schedule over the course of the weekend what are your initial thoughts on this one corny are you a fan of this sprint race idea because we've seen it in junior categories and it's worked rather well as in terms of the format. But would such a format work well in Formula One, especially the way that Formula One are proposing this would take place?
0: So yeah, I completely agree with you. It's definitely a great feature in F2 and F3 in particular. It's it's one it's one of the things that sort of makes it stand out. So the but the problem is. The reason why sprint races are so successful in junior categories is because the cars are pretty much identical, they have the same concept. So that leads to better racing because with sprint races, they go they go full engine power, one set of tires. If you don't know about sprint races, that's what it is. One set of tires, full engine mode, and they go, they go flat out and they sort of see who's the best on the day. Great feature. But the problem with Formula One is that. There are so many differences in these cars. So if you think hypothetically, if there was a sprint race in 2020, what you'd see is the two Mercedes run away. It wouldn't actually be that entertaining. So in order for sprint races to work, I personally feel that the 2022 regulations need to have the desired effect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've often looked in the past at artificial Um, options to spice up the racing and by artificial i mean um changes to the racing format or the calendar for example the uh qualifying changes that bernie eccleston had tried proposing for many years of course he wanted to change it and it's taken many forms until the version that we have today which has proven to be very very popular i remember back in 2016 the elimination style qualifying that lasted only two races and that was an absolutely terrible idea terrible idea especially with mercedes so dominant you had a point where Because Nico Rosberg couldn't get out in time, he basically had four minutes of no running until qualifying was done. So everyone was completely disappointed. It robbed us of the climax we wanted. And as I said, sometimes you have to look at live sport, not just Formula One, you know, football. They're trying to change the Champions League and everything else. We're not going to get into that debate. Um, You know, but sometimes if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. I think somewhere as simple as that. Um, I mean, talking about how this would work, um, the concept that's being proposed to accommodate a sprint race would be you'd have qualif- so you'd have your practice sessions as normal for FP1. Uh, FP2 would be moved to a Saturday morning, so there'd be no FP3 from what we understand. So you'd have a sat- uh, Friday afternoon. Instead of FP2, you'd have the qualifying for the sprint race. Then you would have the sprint race Saturday afternoon after FP2 where it would be a third race distance and basically the top eight finishers will score points in that race but it will also make up the grid for sunday's race now with that in mind half points are going to be available for the top eight finishers: 12 points for win nine points for second all the way down until you get to eighth place that gets one point and of course if you're on half a point i believe it gets rounded down rather than up mm. so to accommodate that and you're absolutely right corny i think With the parity in quality and the golfing class between the teams from what we saw in 2020, given that we are entering like a 2020 B season, if you like, where there's going to be a lot of carryover, of course, there will be be a lot of changes, which will make a difference. Um, You know, we haven't ignored that, but Mercedes are the red hot favorites and it wouldn't be naive to think that Mercedes would just dominate the Saturday sprint race and then dominate the race on a Sunday. And then in addition to all of that, you've got to consider things like tires, um, spare parts, the cost element, especially with a cost cap being introduced this year, how is that all going to fit into it? Engine parts and everything else. You probably get to a point where the teams may not necessarily this season, but if it went ahead for 2022 would optimize their running so that they would develop the perfect strategy to finish their, race or the sprint race in the fastest time but everyone else will do the same thing so it completely mitigates any advantage you will have and you'll probably just have a very shortened version of those boring races where it's like one stop and nothing really happens um I mean this is kind of a make perhaps a very much conservative opinion on this uh from a fan who very much likes the current format the way it is and don't think it should be changed but I mean what are your thoughts on this one Courtney do you think financially speaking and in terms of the engine parts and everything else is it really Uh feasible to add more action to the race weekend that is going to be you know competitive you know you can't ignore it because this points are up for grabs it'd be stupid to ignore it but do you think that it's feasible to introduce something like this without relaxing some of the new restrictions that the regulations are imposing on the teams
0: yeah so first of all you're absolutely right there needs to be more of a balance when it comes to budgeting for, you know, the midfield and the lower, lower teams to, for it to really work for these teams. And also another thing that has come to mind about this is if you think about the start of the race, it's usually the midfield teams and the teams lower down the grid that are more likely to have accidents at the start of the race due to a concertina effect on the first corner, nine times out of 10. So in theory, these teams are more likely to have accidents and damage their cars and possibly have overnight work needed done and that's more work for the mechanics. So that 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 builds much more of a cumulative cost for these teams. Hmm. So I think it's counterproductive from a financial sense. I understand why the you know the, the guys at the top of Formula One wanna make things, you know, more entertaining, you know, freshen it up a little bit, because when the stigmas attached to Formula One is, you know, it's very predictable, quite boring. But the the biggest problem facing Formula 1 is that it's the competitiveness. There, there, there's been a team dominant in Formula 1, generally speaking, for, I'll say, 20 years. And you can even look further back to the 80s with Williams and McLaren. Mm. That's just a general problem with Formula 1. It just seems that when, when a team gets on top, it's difficult for them to be dethroned. Mm. So that's something that Formula 1 needs to look into. And they are open to do that for 2022. So, my personal perspective, unfortunately, I'm just a fan, I don't have a say. Why not see how the 2022 regulations get on? And if the if the pecking orders become even, why not introduce a sprint race step?
1: Well, this is it, exactly. And the 2021 rules, we shouldn't forget, are trying to, you know, rem- mitigate the gulf between the larger teams and the smaller teams. And I think you're right in pointing out there's always been a plethora of teams or perhaps a a cohort of teams in every single era that's been more dominant than the others. And usually what it weighs down to is those that have resources versus those that don't. And the introduction of a cost cap and also the, the ATR scale, the aerodynamic testing I can't remember what the R stands for now. Terrible. But um, basically the, the sliding scale on, uh, to, you know, on aerodynamic testing mm. and CFD runs and everything else, which is determined by your position in the Constructors' Championship to try and even the playing field. I think those are really great initiatives. that I think are going to play a huge part, uh, not just in 2022, but this season as well, in making sure that the teams that had to meet a budget of around 100 and f- to 150 million and struggled to even get there, will be on a level playing field compared to the teams like the Mercedes, the Red Bulls and the Ferraris who were spending double that. You know, that's where you're going to find a level playing field. And that's where you're going to close the gap. Those regulations and the cost cap, not necessarily by introducing sprint race to artificially change the action. The concept is sound. I will give them that. And yeah. yes, there is an appeal to having sprint races. Of course, as a Formula One fan, I would love to have as much action as possible over the weekend. Nobody wants to see... You know, you know something that's completely pointless. But at the end of the day, I I agree, Corny. I just feel like by doing this, not only are you going to create an opportunity for Mercedes and other dominant teams to basically continue to dominate, assuming they get Friday qualifying right, because I imagine it would be under the same format that we currently get on a Saturday, and then just dominate the sprint race and then dominate the regular race because there's no there's no reason why the smaller teams can really risk more for less points than do it on a Sunday to get more points when there's more opportunities to do that, that I don't see the logic in that. I know people say it's a shorter format. It means less time for the bigger teams to claw back the deficit if there is one, but then you're assuming that that's going to happen all the time. And most of the races that we had last season that were brilliant did have certain events that happened, i.e. the weather or safety cars or other thing. So I get the logic in the concept. I just don't think this is the way to go about it, nor is reverse grids, but then Stefano, Thankfully, you said reverse grid is not going to happen. I thought that was a ridiculous yeah, idea. It sounds fun, but it will get boring very quickly, especially in these cars.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's right. You don't want, you don't want it to be too gimmicky. And another concern that I have, I'm a, I'm a bit like you, I'm, I'm quite traditional. I, I like the, the Saturday concept of qualifying, but they need to respect the purity of qualifying because it is a big part of the culture of Formula 1. And if you ever look at some of the tracks, for example, this season, I look at Monaco and Imola. Okay, those two races are going to probably provide us with two of the best qualifying sessions of the season. But the race, if 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 the if the if it's dry, those races are likely to be die because it's very difficult to overtake. So qualifying is a highlight of those weekends. So hypothetically speaking, if the qualifying Sessions on a Friday don't work out well, you're gonna find yourself having a drab Saturday and a drab Sunday. I think it the the concept of qualifying needs to really be considered before they go ahead with this.
1: Absolutely. And you know, speaking of qualifying, let's not forget that sometimes at some events the qualifying on Saturday is the highlight of the weekend. It shouldn't be, mm. but it more often than not does provide that added bit of drama. I mean, for example, there's always the battle for pole. I know. In recent years, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Lewis Hamilton is going to be on pole because he's that damn good. All right, he does have a great car, but he's such a good qualifier, the best we've ever seen, I think it's fair to say. And, you know, sometimes there's always, but we still believe that someone can topple him. On occasion, Bottas can beat Lewis in qualifying. It does happen. You know, Lewis doesn't get pole every single race. And so, you know, there is occasion where he can be beat over one lap. For Stappen as his moments other drivers in the midfield you know we were talking about this the other day and one driver in particular I think would be very frustrated if they got rid of Saturday qualifying in exchange for a sprint race is Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari oh yeah definitely Charles um, it was ironic actually because Charles was statistically one of the worst qualifiers in terms of putting his best three sectors together over a single lap in Q3 whereas Sebastian Vettel ironically was the best statistically speaking um and in 2020 that completely changed it went the other way Charles Leclerc ended up being the best driver and in sakir in particular driving a car that at best was sick fastest on most circuits and it's secure was probably eight fastest only the alphas and the hasses were slow maybe slower than them because of the less drag and aero packages that they have would work in their favor but um he nailed the lap and put it in fourth place on the grid all right he retired early in the race because he made a silly mistake on the first lap but it was such an incredible lap when he got out of the car he just thought forget the last five minutes i can't do a better lap than that i just and he just got out and it was absolutely brilliant but it's that sort of thing that you'll be robbed of if you introduce a sprint race because friday qualifying where's the incentive and they're all right. There probably is an incentive to do well in Friday qualifying because you want a good position in the sprint race because it will set you up well for the actual race itself and extra points. And then, you know, in addition to that, where do we where do the statisticians look at race wins, Courtney, because this is something I wanted to post to you, actually, when I saw this, where does a sprint race or how does a sprint race get valued in terms of a race win compared to a full race? Because hypothetically speaking, let's let's say they introduce sprint races on a permanent basis and they go for ten years, and someone I don't know, someone ran at Max Verstappen, let's say, um, wins a hundred sprint races, but never wins on a Sunday. Does that mean he becomes the most successful race winner of all time? Or because it's a third of the race distance, they say, well, no, he's only got the value of about 33 wins rather than 100. You know, but where does where does those get stacked up? Because they don't stack those up in the junior categories in the same way as they do for the feature races.
0: Yeah, I like to think they would put it as a separate statistic because I think the F1 purists would be pulling their air at if they hmm. saw, for example, you know, Lewis Hamilton is statistically the best of all time and if he's beaten by someone's sonnet by only winning third race distance then yeah that would cause a lot of drama and uh again that's what i mean it's i'm um, all for new ideas i'm sure a lot of people are but you need to be protecting the purity of the sport that made us fall in love with it in the first place
1: mm. and, and i think it devalues the sunday race itself as well because you know the sunday the main event I, i just it works in junior categories the format that they use and i don't believe formula one would adopt the same format in terms of the top eight um you know reverse top eight from spr- feature to sprint race etc and the rest of them they just sit where they finished in the previous race it works there and the reason they do it there is a competitive balance in equal machinery to a degree that allows the best drivers to come through over the course of the season in f1 i just don't think you're going to get that or at least achieve that in the same way and who's to say a sprint race doesn't in this season it might determine if it was to happen, it might determine who wins the world championship. And how strange would that be? If you can imagine, again, playing devil's advocate, let's say Max Verstappen, you know, won all the sprint races and Lewis, you know, comes second in them. And then all of a sudden, Max wins the championship by a point. And you'd argue, well, if you didn't have the sprint races, Lewis That's would have been champion. Where's the parity? Because it can happen.
0: It is, it is a possibility. Because if Fred Bull closer, which is it's a possibility, hmm. this, this hypothetical situation could become reality. Mm. And it would if if Verstappen was to win that, can you imagine oh the Lewis Hamilton fans would be going crazy? And it would also like, like Max Max is a bit ecstatic to become a world champion and he's clearly talented to do so. But there'd always be that slight question mark, you know, particularly given that this is a trial. Yes. I don't know, I, I just I just think the finer details. Of it need to really be assessed before they come to a decision.
1: Well, absolutely right. I mean, look at, I mean, I'm just trying to think an example. I think it was 2014 when they introduced double points in Abu Dhabi, or was it 2015? One of them, and uh, no, it 2014, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it ultimately, it didn't matter. Lewis still won the World Championship. But if you applied that logic in other seasons, I think, if I'm right, in 2008, if you'd had double points in the last race of the season. Massa would have been world champion mm-hmm. that season I know they said it wouldn't have affected the order in other seasons but it would have done in that one and I don't think it would have been right for someone who's been better over the course of a season to lose the championship um on double points especially if for example Rosberg at the time was 24 points behind Lewis or 49 points behind Lewis I should say and then wins where Lewis retires and Rosberg gets 50 um it you know it, it wouldn't sit right so yeah I think from our perspective i like the idea i like that they're trying these things and we've never had the actual race weekend format change to such a degree or willing to be trialed in this way to see if it works um but i think the best way to achieve some um you know to achieve more of equality, I suppose, in the racing and a more spiced up action with the cars being on more of a level playing field is what we're actually introducing. And that's a cost cap regulations that will allow the bigger teams to be kept down a little bit in terms of development with the smaller teams to get up uh, in the same way. And also the cars being changed in such a way that will allow more great race. And of course, the teams are going to try to develop these cars to a degree where they'll mitigate that as much as possible to suit their own need in clear air, because obviously you never design a car to be running behind another one you design one to be leading the pack that's all oh, aerodynamicists will tell you that but i just think let's stick to what we're doing see how it goes and you know we'll move forward if we need to with other alternatives um you know having said all of this there were some supporters for this um sprint race series from what we have heard from the commission as a fan i i hope it doesn't come it doesn't go through although i'm willing for it to be tried out i just don't think it's going to work but they will need 28 out of 30 votes from the three parties we've already mentioned in order for this to go through. I'd be very surprised if it happens, but it's sport. Anything can happen. Um, So moving on to the other major talking point that we saw, someone else that was discussed at the commission is the engine freeze. Now, for those of you that weren't aware, there was an engine freeze that was being proposed for the start of the 2023 season where the teams would have three years where they would not be allowed to develop their engines. So that would be Ferrari, Renault and Mercedes, of course, with Honda pulling out of the sport altogether at the end of the 2021 season. Um, they won't be able to develop their engines at all until the new engine regulation changes come in 2026. In the news, we have heard that an agreement has been reached unanimously. So all 30 parties involved, or all three parties involved, all 30 people representing have agreed unanimously on an engine freeze for 2022. So what that means essentially is at the end of this season, the teams will have one final opportunity to develop their engines for the next three seasons. And that will be it. No more development beyond the start of 2022. First things first, Courtney, this is a huge, huge win for Red Bull. It must be said given that rival teams were probably reluctant originally um, in order to allow this to suit Red Bull's benefit, but Red Bull have looked like they've won out on this one. And as a result, It looks like now they'll be able to negotiate a deal with Honda, their current engine providers, to take over the running of the engine post-2021 and manage it themselves to a point where they can develop it in-house, of course, for that allotted time period and run with that rather than having to bite the bullet and settle for what looked to be a Renault engine going 2022 onwards. How significant, in your mind, is this for Red Bull in terms of future championship opportunities?
0: It's massive. You've already said it. I fully agree because going into these new regulations in particular, Red Bull have got the brains. They've always, they've always made exceptional cars in terms of chassis and aer- aerodynamics. You know, having Adrian New is probably one of the greatest um, designers of all time there. That's always been a plus for them. And the engine side in this turbo hybrid era as really been their main downfall that has stopped them from challenging Mercedes as regularly as they'd like to. So for them to have an engine and then with with Honda they've been developing, the they kind of they've caught up not quite enough. But if they catch up this season, they could find themselves to be the best team or in the running for the championship in the next three, four years. So you're right, it's massive. And also I think have um, this news will have an effect on Max Verstappen's future, you know, we discussed in the last episode could he be looking at that Mercedes seat when Lewis Hammond retires? With this news, I don't, I don't think the will be looking to leave. I think he'll be, you know, what I could be building my own history with Red Bull. You know, going into the with the new regulations, there's going to be a lot of excitement because going into it, I personally believe they could be the team to beat when these regulations change.
1: Could do, could well be. And, uh, you know, if anyone's going to nail these aerodynamic changes, not just for 2021, but 2022 as well, Red Bull are definitely one of the leading candidates to do that. And you're right to point out with Max Verstappen, because we discussed his future last week when we're talking about Lewis Hamilton. And yes, Max will be looking at potentially driving for Mercedes, but there are going to be other candidates as well. Let's not forget... Uh, George Russell, of course, Sebastian Vettel, Valtteri Bottas may still be there beyond 2021. So many people looking at this potential seat to replace Lewis. And it may turn out, as I said last week, there could be the chance that Red Bull might nail it. And if Max leaves them, he trades away what he thought was the car settled for second, turns out to be a world beater for the next era of Formula One. We don't know that. This is why it's such a huge decision. And this engine freeze, in a way has made it no easier for them, given the fact that this now makes the Red Bull seat even more appealing. Um, As I said, Max will know more about this 2022 car, what it's going to be like, and will probably, assuming if Lewis does stay on for another year, he will at least get a year's experience in that car. But could you imagine if Lewis Hamilton leaves at the end of the 2021 season, winning an eighth world championship, and Red Bull were very close to stopping him in Max Verstappen, what would max do i mean it's huge it could define the next era of formula one it could define his career this next, yeah it certainly defined lewis's when lewis moved from mclaren in 2013 to mercedes everyone thought that was a mistake and it turned out to be the defining moment in lewis hamilton's career because it turned him into one of the greatest if not the greatest driver of all time um it's such a huge moment i can't wait to see what he does um you know another team that will be looking at this as well courtney because of course mercedes are the top team in terms of engine developers and the car and everything else they seem to be the masters of everything at the moment but um ferrari in particular will be very keenly interested now i'm surprised that ferrari decided to support this um not just because their 2020 engine by comparison was a dud of course you know the restrictions that were put on them uh, that they were also catering towards as well that in assistance with the FIA on these directives that were introduced to uh you know stop their 2019 engine and bring in this 2021 which was really below par the 2021 engine from what we understand is going to be an improvement but it's 2022 that I want to talk about because Whilst Ferrari have been upbeat and optimistic about the 2021 engine, not necessarily being on par par with Mercedes, but at least further up the field than it was last season. Um, Matty Bonotto claimed last season that if Ferrari were allowed to develop their engine in-season, they would have at least moved from the back of the field, in this case, probably surpassing either Renault or Honda um, in this way. In in his opinion, of course, we'd have to wait and see what Ferrari do. But in 2022, I am hearing a lot of rumours from ferrari that uh, and this come i believe this come from asmus germany i believe so you know don't quote me on it but i did see something along this lines and a few other people talked about this too ferrari are planning a radical change for the 2022 engine and this could be anticipation of mm. the new engine freeze coming up and what they believe is that because it's such a radical concept the performance gains are groundbreaking in their opinion Now, Ferrari are very good at building engines. Let's not forget that. Despite the shambles that they had last season, they are very good at building engines when they get them right. They were legendary in the early 2000s and for some time, of course, masters of the V12s until they had to give those up in the early 90s. Um, But if it works for them, it really could be groundbreaking. Reliability will be a factor, but it's something I believe Ferrari has gambled on. I believe it's something John Elkin might have referred to as well when he was talking about Ferrari's prospects in the future. So, it's something that a lot of teams, a lot of manufacturers of these engines are looking at. Of course, we're not, we're not discounting Mercedes. Mercedes might have a trickle to up the sleeve. Yeah. They always do. Um, you know, these, I've
0: got, Yeah, I've got to say, Adam, I really hope this is true because I don't know. I think a lot of people are feeling that Lewis will leave if he wins this championship and we're looking to the next generation in Formula One. And, as a neutral, with my guy gone, I'm going to be watching on as a neutral from that point onwards. And there's nothing I want to see more in the future than Charles Leclerc versus Max Verstappen. So I really hope that Ferrari take that step forward because that's what the fans are going to want. You know, a lot of see C- they would want to see George Russell win a mix, but we see some of the tangles these two drivers have had. Mm. They've only had several, but they're usually blockbuster. These guys are rivals going back years absolutely um, yeah
1: and you say that courtney that you'll become a neutral i felt that way after michael schumacher retired in 2006 the first time he retired in 2006 but then i realized i was a ferrari fan through and through you find new heroes to appreciate you find new drivers to really get behind uh, i'm sure you will too but um as i said i'm really excited about this new era and I, I hope in a way that these rumors are true what ferrari are trying to do this is absolutely mega but It could work brilliantly well and give them what they need to dominate post 2021, or it could leave them with a very, very bad engine that they can't improve for three years and leave them down where they've been last season. Hopefully it's the former rather than the latter, but so many exciting. This is why 2022 is a mega, mega exciting
0: for Formula 1. It's massive.
1: It's the biggest rule regulation change I think we've ever seen in the sport. And I really hope it proves to be successful, Um, you know, in terms of spicing up the racing and, of course, allow newer competitors to come to the fold, not just the same teams dominating the sport. I mean, yes, I'm a Ferrari fan. I want Ferrari to win championships. But it's so much more fun when there's way more competition rather than one team dominating. However, I have noticed if given the option, people would probably prefer their teams, watch their teams dominate week in, week out like Mercedes have done. So what do it's I been, it, I've,
0: I've loved it. I've loved it personally. But I must say, as much as I've loved seeing Lewis win, I think the last couple of seasons in particular, I can understand the frustrations from other fans, you mm. know, at the end of the day. I feel that frustration in other sports like when you see the same team winning the league all the time in like the Premier League for example mm. you know, as you understand know, the majority of the fans are neutrals and they don't they want to be seeing as many teams in the mix as possible so I, I do I'm fairly confident with these new regulations I think we're going to be seeing new teams in the mix I have high hopes I've, I've said it so many times on this podcast already I have really high hopes for McLaren I think they could be there or thereabouts I think Mercedes will be I'm hoping we have at least four teams challenging at the top and having one of these young drivers coming through. So ideally, this is this is idealistic of me. I'd love to see McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull and having Norris, Russell, Leclerc and Verstappen all going for the championship. That'd be beautiful.
1: Mm. And let's not forget what Aston Martin could do. They might be able to throw up yeah. a spanner in the works as well. That's an exciting project. You know, got to watch out for Sebastian Vettel. I mean, I was hearing mm-hmm. that the Aston Martin is going to be developed a lot similarly to the 2020 Mercedes. Obviously not, you know, parodying what they did last season, but it's going to have a much more stable rear end, which is one of the reasons why Mercedes are so successful. And Sebastian Vettel would absolutely love that because Lewis did. And If Lewis did, Seb does as well. Very similar in their driving styles to some degree, especially in handling a rear end. So, I really hope for them and for Seb that that works out. So much to talk about, guys. That we've only got so much time on this podcast. I think the last thing that's left to say, um, you know, Ferrari also in the news, they've announced that they're going to be uh doing a launch on the 26th of February. I believe that's going to be a livery launch because they're doing another one on the 10th of March, which I imagine you'll see the full car. So, you know, that's going to be something to look forward to. And it's another date in the diary for you, dnf one fans, uh, as we're going to be covering each and every single team in a separate podcast. I, it, during this period where they're unveiling the cars, we were going to be talking about the cars themselves, what how good they look, anything that we notice in particular that might be interesting from an aerodynamics perspective, and obviously what we feel they're going to need to do to maximize their opportunity for success in 2021. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything more that we need to cover, Courtney. I know you mentioned you saw something about um, rich energy, uh, if you wanted to yeah, talk so about there that yeah,
0: So, yeah, there are a couple of things. So, rich energy, I don't know if they've been a bunch of teases, because, yeah, they have a little bit of a, a history of being
1: the controversial. Katie, the Katie Hopkins the Con- Formula One. <laughs>
0: Always putting in a target,
1: yeah. Always being controversial, <laughs> put the target on their head themselves, and yet everyone's like, "Oh, why are we giving these people time?" And yet everybody retweets everything yeah, that they say. Like that's it,
0: and th- I- and this is and what we're, we're talking seen.
1: about them. So
0: <laughs> that's it. You know. So they've retweeted this evening that they plan to reveal a new partnership with a new team, a new F one team, on February fourth week, which is obviously Valentine's Day. So. I'm sure um, I'm sure everybody would be throwing their partners to the side to eagerly to get the uh, eagerly anticipated news to see who rich energy are again with there are a couple of teams that are rumored I hope it isn't the particular team that they the rumors are saying I hope it isn't true but uh, which one is possibly that? Williams I think it could be Williams um, okay. I think Williams have kind of been building a good reputation with George Russell and I I don't want them to become a banter team. Um, So I'm hoping that isn't true. But that's the first point I want to make. Also, I know, Adam, you usually do this. If you are watching these videos and you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe because it really does help the channel grow. We're approaching 200 subscribers, which would be a massive milestone for us. You know, when we first started this, I wouldn't have dreamed at the very start that we could make 200 subscribers in and around a year of you know starting this channel and i really do hope that you enjoy what we do we we certainly enjoy it and we've loved the feedback we've got from you so if you're watching this and you like what we do please subscribe and please share with other people that you know because unfortunately for myself and adam the people in and around our social circles aren't really into formula one so we rely on you guys to get our content out there
1: yeah, it's a good thing that Courtney and I found each other on that first day of secondary school. <laughs> Otherwise, God knows what would have happened. It, our podcast would never have happened. Exactly. Basically. You know, so uh, there's something good that came from that experience, I will admit. But... um Yeah, no, Courtney's absolutely right, guys. We appreciate and absolutely love you for all the support. And there are loads of you out there that tune into our podcast and seem to enjoy it from what we understand. Although you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe. It's absolutely free to do so. We're not going to be nagging you and plugging you with this, that, and everything else to say, yeah, you know, do this and do that. Look you know, it, it's absolutely fantastic. Those of you that support us, we hope more of you can continue to do so in 2021 is going to be a very good year for DNF1 with what we've got planned and what we're working on at the moment. So please hit that subscribe button on YouTube, like the video if you've enjoyed it, and make sure to hit the notifications bell as well, because yes. I have heard from some of our followers that they're not being notified when our podcasts are being uploaded. So please do let us know if you are having that problem. And of course, comment below. On the topics that we've talked about, uh, let us know if you are looking forward to the idea of spring races. If you're in favour, uh, you know anything to do with the engine freeze, how, how you think that will go, and of course, which let us know which car you are looking forward to being unveiled as the launches start to begin next week. And of course, just to let you know, on Monday we are going to be reviewing the new McLaren, the first team to break cover and unveil what their car is going to look like. Given how soon it is before testing, I imagine it's going to be a livery launch. But nonetheless, I am very much looking forward to seeing these 2021 cars in the flesh all this left to say guys as i said already like the video if you enjoyed it make sure to subscribe to the channel follow us on social media as well we've got our handles at the bottom there dnf1 underscore official on instagram and twitter a lot of stuff on there we really would love it if you guys would follow us on there as well And uh, all the stuff to say, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on this episode once again of the DNF1F1 podcast. And until then, guys, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next DNF1 video.
0: See you soon.